0: I like it to start every podcast so everyone knows why the hell they're going to listen for the next hour, is what do you do, Daniel?
1: Okay, so I'm founder and I run a technology company. We've got a few different parts to it. So we help with business automation. Okay. Um, uh, People think that's cool. We automate a lot of things. A lot of it is figuring out what you should automate. That's the real magic of what we do. Mm. It's not why people come to us. And then we've also got a division called Revenue Lab. So the company is called Gravity Lab. got a division called Revenue Lab that does it as um, professional services. So we literally get in and help people with their value proposition, their ideal customer profile, go to market strategy, help you hire your sales team. How should your CRO work? How should your commission structure mm. work? Um, and that's nearly always for people. Um, doing rapid scale of their um, revenue streams. So particularly international businesses, particularly tech startups are a big one. Hmm. So work with kind of New Zealand's biggest tech startups and how do they sell on scale internationally?
0: It's a, it's a random, yeah, how to go from one to the other. How did you go from automating systems to automated growth in a sense? Well, a lot of the systems organization is around sales and marketing. None. Sales,
1: um, while I'm not money hungry, Money is a uh, key, key 50% of how a business works, sounds <laughs> <outside> in the door. <laughs> yeah. Cash in the bank, that is a huge part of what a business is. Huh. So that always comes up. And everything's at the end of the day, if you take a traditional capitalistic model, provide dollars to shareholders, you do that by offering value to customers. So they pay you, and then you engage and find customers. So engaging and find customers and maximizing the value offer. It's hmm. Money related. You're somewhere between
0: a hippie and a corporate. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's my vibe anyways, just from the 10 minutes of conversation. Or is that not, not even close?
1: I would never describe myself as a hippie.
0: Okay, but what would you use?
1: I understand money, I understand how business works, I enjoy that. But I'm not money motivated. Oh, okay. That's the difference. You know, a lot of my peers or competitors might be like, Shit, i am just got a fancy boat and I'm doing this. Look at me, I'm so fancy. I don't think that's where contentment comes from. Hmm. I think finance is the means to end. Just kind of, You talk about hygiene and motivating factors. I can go buy a bottle of wine after work. I could go buy brunch in the morning. I can afford to pay my bills. Happy life. And I've got zero risk around that. And the more security buffer, the less stress I've got around that. But I'd rather go on a boat tour than buy my own boat like that sort of stuff it just doesn't motivate me it doesn't and I think I've had the insight that my happiest kind of most joyful content moments nearly all free moments you know mm. at the beach with friends or yeah really- so money's an enabler so I'm very motivated to make as big a difference as I can while I've got with the hours i got on this earth so what that means is for my excess money that we can earn what sort of difference can we do with it so we're actually I gave away the business Couple of years ago, to a charitable trust, basically not a formal charitable trust, but it's called Charity Lab. Um, and the beneficiaries of that trust are human trafficking charities. So we basically give our profit away, for the most part, to fund those. I still get paid a decent salary. Staff will get paid above market rates. You know, um, we still do very well commercially. Um, but what actually is going to help me live the life that I want to live, or what am I actually going to be proud of when I? Yeah.
0: To get to the end of my journey, <laughs> okay. You're an enigma. Right? I wasn't far off there, you might not call it happy, but it seemed like, yeah, you're intrinsically motivated to help people just oh, yeah. from a 10 minute yard. <laughs> but I, I want to uh, uh, unpack that though, because so I'm, I'm testing this theory, and the listeners probably get tired of me asking it. But fundamentally, I think the most fulfilling thing you can do is to help a version of yourself in the world. Now, by way, I mean you either witness hardship or you experience the hardship, and if you can solve that hardship in some way, then that's quite a, an engaging experience. So, if, to give an example, or oh, you guys, got...
1: I think I think you're close. Uh, I think similarly, I would say lot everybody's got different values and things that motivate them, and their values would largely be generated from their story on the hardship they've witnessed or experienced, mm. and that's kind of probably my mantra if I could change the world in some way with, I'm going to see what the position I've got, I work with a lot of C-suites and different people, people actually listen to my advice for some reason now um, it's good in business, personal life hopefully um, I'm just like, if you've got, you sell your company for a hundred million dollars, what are you going to do? Like, what do you value? What matters to you? I really care about kids, I had the kids have been abused I really care about the environment I care about X, Y, Z, it doesn't matter what it is go make that a better place and you'll be more fulfilled so really, I think similar.
0: Yeah, Well, yeah, you, well, we talked about valleys before even meeting, so I suspect valleys is important. <laughs> so the the charity though that okay, well, I don't expect to speak about sex trafficking, but imagine you know some statistics around it or some harrowing stories or some sort of motivation for it.
1: Yeah, so there's a few different things. Statistics, um, they obviously vary. I think Hagar says every three or four seconds someone gets human trafficked which is disgusting right Mm. um i think we're 40 to 50 million people being trafficked each year so it's bigger than it's ever been in the past um and then the other question i've got kind of values question where to use simpler words is what sort of world do i want to live in and i do not want to live in a world where people are treated like slaves literally I particularly don't want to be in a world where people are treated like sex slaves because, you know, someone getting raped every night, you know, out of their will, stolen is disgusting. And then a bunch of these are kids on top of that. So it's just like, you kind of take, like, what's your biggest problem in your life? If you can solve that problem, you make your biggest material difference. So am I going to solve it? No, but I'm going to try and do my bit. Mm-hmm. My personal kind of goal around those things in my lifetime is to try and say fund and help with the rescue of 10,000 kids or, or human trafficked victims. And then the the really exciting about this, and I think of it in terms of social return on, what's your return on investment when you're giving in that cause? You should treat it like a business in many ways. One of the things that really improves the return on investment is when, what is the impact of doing a bust and prosecuting a, the corruption that's happening? You're having a much, much bigger Impact. So today, or last night, I got two emails. I think they they did two different rescue missions, the guys that we fund. And, um, and they saved four, one bar, three and another that were being human trafficked. But guess what that does to all the bars in the region? Mm. They go, oh, shit, we don't want to do this. This mm. is not commercially viable. This is higher risk than we thought it was. And now I'm going to jail. You know, the ripple on effects can be massive.
0: That's a good point. I, I mean, my understanding is the 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 speed, the frequency of which they get caught will determine, you know, whether they'll stop crime in the sense that... So, like, if nothing happens and they keep doing and keep doing and there's no repercussions or they don't witness any consequences, as opposed to the severity of the actual crime itself. So if you're able to increase the frequency at which they catch these people, um, then you're less likely to go down the route of, you know, the crime and it's not so much a deterrent, the severity of the um charge as it is catching them?
1: Um, yeah, it's just, it's just making it seem like a really dumb idea. Mm. It's obviously a dumb idea, but people can talk themselves into all sorts of horrific things. Um, and then the other thing that an um, organisation we work with is they go after prosecuting corrupt officers. Hmm. And that's another wide net thing. So if you can take down senior corrupt officers that might be taking bribes from several places, it scares off several corrupt places all at the same time.
0: Geez. Has there been any repercussions for you? You know, like if we suddenly hear you're self suicided or something?
1: <laughs> Not for me. Nobody knows who I am. We just get um for the agency we work with, yeah. so we I catch up with every month. We kind of talk through financials and business planning and things like that. And I always like to ask a kind of questions like, so are you safe at the moment? He's like, Yep, definitely safe. I'm like, anybody following you? He's like, oh yeah. Like, who are they? Oh, just from some gangs, you know. He's like, I'm not scared. I'm like, okay, mate, you know.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, I was going to ask you to plug them, but maybe for your safety, we shouldn't. What do you think? Up to you.
1: No, well, the biggest, we're the only funder of that organization. There's other big ones like Child Rescue and Hagar that we're supporting internationally. Um, or you get in touch with me and we can talk about how to fund these guys as well. Cool. All right. We what fund is- them because we think about ROI. Their cost structure is much lower. Their effectiveness is much higher. And if we're going to give away, in essence, millions of dollars over the year, then um, I want it to be used as well as possible.
0: You give millions of dollars over the years? or well, We will do. Oh, gotcha. I was going to say baller.
1: So we probably gave around 250 last year. Yeah. Um, that's that's amazing. that each year. Nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because yeah, I see what you mean by cost structure. I'm somewhat jaded. Because I, I work for a marketing company that represented the major charities. And in essence, you know, I raised about 2 to $3 million over a year and a half. And um, 80% of the first year revenue goes to the marketing company.
1: Yeah, it depends. Uh, and you could name charities that do it really well. But some of the statistics show as well that those charities are the ones that have been around for 30 years. are going to be around another 30 years. And the guys that are a lot more down to earth in their funding struggle and won't be here in 10 years time so at least they're making a difference
0: yeah that's the way it is like it's it's a net game for the world because fundamentally what the marketing company would do was they'd get um the charity wouldn't have to pay any money until they've secured a year of donations and then they tend to stay on for about four years and 80 percent of that first year goes a marketing company and then they leave it to the charity so it is Good for the charity, it's just fundamentally where's that money going,
1: yeah. And there's different you know, there's different
0: models, and that model yeah. was used by some of the big ones. Um, random, I didn't expect to talk about this. <laughs> it's cool, I've got to convince you. Um, just always shines a mirror. Cinisons being a nice, fuck, and just like, oh, what am I doing? Well, off. <laughs> um, so well, let's unpack where were you born, mate? Where the? let's go back to there, okay? Sure thing. Born in the UK, oh, England. Yeah. Um, was around the UK. Moved to New Zealand when I was seven. Seven. Were you well liked or not liked? Well liked in New Zealand. Yeah. Were you a popular kid? Were you the nerd? Uh, not jock, not well, Not well liked. Badminton. I feel like you could do it. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Um, <laughs> I don't think I'll that good. <laughs> <laughs> what
0: was your What was your thing? What did you find you I good play, at something?
1: I played in terms of sport. I played soccer um, in primary school, beginning of high school, and then I switched school, moved to Tauranga. And then we had a really crap soccer team, played my old team, got smashed, and I stopped playing soccer and switched. And a lot of my mates were playing hockey. Hockey wasn't necessarily my thing, but I had like six mates playing it, so that was fun.
0: It's mad. Penalty corners, bro. I I don't... I Yeah. Brave. Yeah, you've been hit. (laughs) Definitely. It's stupid. (laughs) Like, just running into the... Yeah, I don't get it. I don't know who invented that. (laughs) I feel like it needs to be removed. But anyway, so, but I the part I'm trying to struggle to link is, you know, you, you're business savvy, you've achieved these certain things, now you're giving away quarter of a mil. Where does, you know, was your life just perfect and you just like Buddha and then you suddenly witnessed hardship in the world so you wanted to change it? Or?
1: Oh no, okay, we'll, we'll go through the, the bits you might find interesting and then is I worked... First job, I always liked business, so I was always really kind of like commercials and business kind of make sense to me. Um, lucky in that way. Went and worked for kind of a boutique consulting company, Wellington, doing a lot of corporate strategy work, which really, really useful. I learned a lot about business strategy and management there. But when I looked around, I didn't want to be like these people. I didn't want to be like what they were chasing. Um... Kind of my my analogy, and this isn't always the case, is kind of got four Audis, but, you know, got a terrible marriage or cheating on your wife or whatever it is, you know? And I'm just like, I don't want to be that person. So that was kind of like my quarter-life crisis was like, well, I don't want that. What do I want? And then typically you go, I don't know. <laughs> mm. um, I was raised Christian, so a lot of faith, right? A lot of the social values come through there. Um, still hot, got that faith but that shapes life. It's like well shit if this stuff's real and I'm supposed to care about the world what does that look like to me what, what does that make sense so many different ways of doing it that's is what I like you can do it your own way so from there I quit that job did a right contracting you know or very well contracting and then I was trying to just figure it all out and then I, my quarter life crisis was I moved to Uganda on a one way ticket <laughs> mad yeah yeah a bit different from the business world. I spent like a year in Uganda, and then I got a, was helping. Ended up in North Uganda working with this local organisation that um, helps rehabilitate child soldiers. Um, so I was just doing admin stuff because business stuff is what I know, um, and they did that stuff. It was really gnarly. Mm. Um, and then the, there's a Swedish charity that funded that, and then I, they, I was asking one of their managers, "Oh, what should I do? I don't know." And he's like, Oh, we've got this job in Sudan. Do you want to be a finance manager? I'm like, I got a degree in accounting, but I wouldn't call myself a finance manager. And I said, Sure, why not? No one else would pick applied, so
0: <laughs> Wow. Sudan. J on the Uganda part. Mm-hmm. That sounds hectic, I've, I don't know if it's Uganda, but you know, they blindfold you and then you tell you to shoot a wall and then there's actually a kid there and you just shot them, so then it's like a indoctrinates you into it. But I don't know anything about Uganda. Yeah, that's <laughs> not what you did. Yeah, but like, what what's that like? Or why were there child soldiers? I know nothing, sir. Um, why were the ch- because some the evil bastards
1: are just doing sick things. Um, they figured out some sort of weird human psychology hack that they could brainwash kids. And You literally would steal kids and then brainwash them into being soldiers. Wow, real, real fucked up. So, and one of the things I remember at the time that the UN. Had, or something like that, analysts to figure out the biggest, the worst causes in the world, and there were some of these things like these child uh, child soldier rings. And I went, shit, man, I've seen enough movies to know that you can get some Marines or some SAS or you know, you could get ten of them, drop them in there, sniper out all of the the adult leaders, and the whole thing would just stop overnight, right? It seems like a really good ROI. I'm not pro murder, but you know. I'd be happy if those people died. <laughs> it's a yet yeah, instead we're like, invading other they're invading other countries which costs so much more and is dubious and it makes the world a better place. And mm-hmm. this would be very cheap engagements for a military. So I got
0: confused by that. Yeah. A
1: little aside. I didn't see really any violence in Uganda but heard a lot of stories.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating, eh? Yeah. Um and it is sad. You you know you look at the certain conflicts around the world. I think it's important to have accountability around those conflicts. You know our contributions. So like if you look at the the conflicts over the world in terms of Western contribution over the last few decades, maybe one million civilians have been killed as a result of the conflicts, for and thirty five million people displaced. And I'm like, who are we fighting? What are do we doing? <laughs> yeah, what are you trying to achieve here? very lack
1: of KPIs, work hours, you know, they don't know what they're doing. Um, But I think that really helped form something that was already in me was about um, appreciation for everybody's inherent worth. So we can sit in New Zealand and we can go, oh, that guy doesn't have a good job. Maybe they didn't work hard. Uh, Now I look back at it and I go, well, maybe no one told them how to work hard. I went to university because my parents went to my university. And my aunties and uncles went to university, so it was a default. I didn't go there because I was well motivated. It was just like my default path. Mm. And a bunch of kids don't go to university because their parents didn't go to university. So there's just different family values and things. And I work hard because my family taught me to work hard. So it was my default. Of course, there's differences and there is some choice. But heaps of it is around going to a different country and seeing a whole nation that maybe has some problems. Was being dealt a worse set of cards than I had it's not that fault. Mm-hmm. I could have been bored in that country. I could have been bored in a place where I didn't have the opportunities that I had, and I just fundamentally don't think I'm more valuable or more worthy than that than that person mm. and that's kind of what drives me a lot of going, well if I'm not worthy of we're all kind of equal at some level and I've got way more, well it probably makes sense to share it around a bit hmm.
0: Yeah, on that, on the perspective, I recently made a video that went viral and upset lots of people, <laughs> which was essentially that um, if you're earning over 37,000 US you're in the top 1% of the world, and um, I was just talking about perspective, and I, I mean it's relative and we've got a good quality of life and maybe cost of living side, um, but I think something like 900 million people live on less than a dollar twenty-five a day. And I think it's important to have some level of perspective because I find irrespective of if you have a lot of money or no money, um, your interpretation of that experience will determine whether you suffer or not outside of basic need. Um, so I was trying to appeal to the appreciation. But good.
1: The thing I a realization I had is if in New Zealand you're in the top 1%, it's a system okay. If I go have brunch down in Ponsonby or something, I'm probably in the top 1% in New Zealand. <laughs> and so is everybody in this cafe. Like you can walk out, everybody sitting here by basic principles. is probably in the top 1% of the top 1%. I go, well, it's crazy. It's not just me. It's everybody in this whole cafe. There's a bunch of these cafes because we just chuck money away on brunch. Mm. And it's just like, oh, that's, that's really gnarly.
0: It's It's it. I think it's important. Like, I think Mike Tyson, a famous philosopher, <laughs> he said, People that think a lot of money is going to make you happy haven't had a lot of money. And I, I think it's important to reach a certain threshold. I think even Uganda, did, there was a study between Canada and Uganda and found that if you earn over 70 grand a year in relative dollar terms, it doesn't contribute more to happiness. Yeah. But if you give, it does.
1: Yeah. And I. It's not that you need to give. I think if you start living out your values, just working up Maslow's hierarchy of needs to like make a difference. Like, Hmm. what actually fills your tank? You're like, what actually drinking the seventy dollar bottle of wine or the twenty dollar bottle of wine? It doesn't actually make you any happier. There's a time and place for a seventy dollar bottle of wine. No problem if that's a birthday or something. But when you're doing it to appease your own ego and
0: just to make yourself try and feel special, probably missing the point. So you, you quoted some things there. <laughs> are you are you a fan? You've said values a lot and you sound like you know psychology. Are you a acceptance and commitment therapy kind of guy? Or have you uh, never heard of that until No, moment? I have heard of it. Because um, it's all about values and acceptance. Yeah, I think it's a good framework. Yeah, interesting. interesting. Why are you interested in that? I think I like the way how
1: humans work. I find it interesting. Uh-huh. I think it helps me find my place in the world. It also helps me understand myself. Yeah. And it's probably led me to some of these realizations, so. It's actually those simple things like hanging out with friends or having a laugh or sitting outside in nature. Some of these things actually bring fulfillment and contentment mm. rather than um, achieving big things or trying to have prestige. or. Fair. When I think learning the lessons of a psycho- being through therapy and being through psychoanalysis and stuff is you start noticing that, why am I doing this? I'm trying to achieve things because I'm not feeling secure. Okay. And achieving things as a, on like an endless journey, or, yeah. or having lots of things, or needing external affirmation—if you need all that stuff all the time, something's wrong. Go deal with that, and then you will have your best life.
0: Makes more sense now. You start. I'm starting to unravel with Daniel. <laughs> this. I was like, why does this guy care? He just lived this wonderful life. The therapy adds a bit more context. Uh, you might have just done that just because it's a warrant of fitness. I think it's important to most people to do it.
1: Yeah, like like I very pro that I put like at work. You know, we'll help people with any counselling or therapy or whatever um, financially, but I put it on my calendar if I go just to say, look, it's cool to go get counselling or therapy. Like that's, you're working on yourself. Mm. My epiphany was you might spend 150 bucks going to see a therapist, but I could spend five grand on a holiday. Uh, is 20 therapy sessions, is probably going to make me long-term more joyful, content and happy than the
0: holiday. Yeah.
1: No, that's fair. Doing both is preferable.
0: Yeah. <laughs> do therapy <laughs> while on holiday. Two for one. <laughs> you can do it now. you got a coral mill. Just part Now, um, Okay. Well, I think I think we should capitalize on, you know, it sounds like you're doing some good things business-wise and have applied it in lots of different models. So we should probably talk about, firstly, the moment you started your business, because there's a lot of people there out scared, not willing to start, petrified, all that, or thinking it's just smooth sailing. You decided how and when, and then what was it like day one? Um, well, I
1: think the most thing is it's way harder than you think. Oh yeah. So, oh, I'm fucked. Yeah, Look, you go. <laughs> if you don't have heaps of tenacity and a and a broad range of skills in yourself or in your business partners, you're gonna find it really tough. I work, for, I run a little CEO group with a bunch of CEOs, with um. And we find it tough. It's a hard job. There's so many different facets to keep going. From marketing, like marketing, to sales, to accounts, to people, to hiring, to systems. There's so many different parts to it. We take for granted in the business setup. So our biggest first segment, we started Lab unofficially years before we formally started as a company. And we started looking to do digital business coaching. We thought, oh, the problem is the world's going digital. There's a lot of non people who aren't digital nomads, people who don't understand how technology can make a difference. We'll go help them. Okay, it was that's a good experiment to run. So this is probably <laughs> my advice is run experiments oh, yeah. to figure out what the market actually needs rather than try to start a business. Don't start the business. Run some validate first. Because um, we, in hindsight, I figured out that that group of people don't know they've got a problem. And they're not actually willing to invest. They're too scared to invest in the area. So we've got a failed business. No one wants to pay for it. Mm. Well, now people know we qualify very heavily that people know they've got a problem. They've got some sort of digital maturity and we can help them get there. And if I don't think we can get them there, we won't take on the client.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I feel like you're going to spin another riff.
1: (laughs) I don't know. To pull it out of it.
0: Yeah. Well... Yeah, well, like, so I started this new marketing company three months ago, um, and it's changed 20 times. So, yeah, I've gone to the market, and they're like, I don't want that, and I don't want it like that. Oh, no, I want that, but not like that. So it's just been, like, yeah. incremental improvements. And it's not necessarily, I think
1: if you're really capitally funded and you've got some really good things, startup style, you can kind of figure out a really niche problem and go solve that problem, and you could ignore all customers. Mm-hmm or what people say they want and go, because you, you've convinced a bunch of people to pay and given you a runaway to do that. If you don't have a big runway, you, you can't just point out what their problems are. They've got to buy into that that's their problem.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll run out of money in four months, so I better pull something off. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Thank you, mate. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think um, there's an important thing there, like, yeah. Because it's a balance. You hear the people that are established, and the biggest regret they have is servicing a client that they don't necessarily want, or charging uh, a lower price point because they didn't feel deserving of charging more. But then also you got to keep the lights on. Um. So what? How did you start bringing in clients from like when you started? Because it sounded like you're bringing it and it wasn't working, and then so we pre,
1: So that was pre. I got into doing CRM consulting, specifically Salesforce. Um. My brain works really well from that. So I had business background. I ran a website business for a little bit before the earlier days. So this was bringing in business thinking with a bit of technology. And I said, like, ah, oh, this is my sweet spot. Hmm. I'm not the world's best developer by any stretch of the imagination. I don't claim to be the world's best at this thing, but these two worlds colliding, I'm good at. So I was useful so I could take people back from, oh, I need this. And you could bring them in a very pragmatic way go, what are you trying to achieve here? Are you trying to increase your number of leads or increase the quality of your leads? Because they're very different thing and technology is not a silver bullet. Hmm. If we're not clear about the objectives, I don't think you'll get there. Without doing a massive consulting engagement, you do that in a five-minute discussion. So that resonates. And that's what our business is built around. It's not around delivering tech for tech's sake. It's trying to solve real business problems because that's what people want. Yeah. And so, like, what are you actually, cool, you want it. I was like, what are you trying to achieve here? What does success look like?
0: Yeah, you make a good point. I mean, I've sold lots of different things and it's always fundamentally that. It's like, what's the problem that you have? How does it relate to what you're trying to achieve? And what's the way I can explain that that makes sense to you? Essentially, and I'm not particularly good. I did sales because people scared the shit out of me. So I thought if I talked to a hundred thousand people, I'll get better at it. But I, <laughs> I realize I'm okay at sales. I'm better at training people. Um, So what were your, your first first milestone like a first lesson for you where you're like oh and then you get a pivot quickly
1: the one that came to mind wasn't necessarily a pivot was we haven't done a lot of pivots which as good um one of them i just remember hiring the first person I'd had somebody really good and i was just scared I Stared, like there's the responsibility to look after someone in that family what happens if it goes to itself like all these different things like there's this genuine fear around those things and I was really blessed until to had a
0: business coach, We highly recommend. Um, you can plug them if you want. Pun? You can plug your... Oh, just a business coach in general.
1: Yeah, oh, I, did, I did, did have one in general. Okay, got it. It's that She's the best. <laughs> uh, but she'd been through all this before. That's why she was my business coach. And she's like, what are you going to do? And she helped me take like a three-month or two-month decision-making process into a 10-minute one of going, cool, so what a... Nothing more sophisticated than pros and cons of like, what happens if you do? What happens if you don't? Where are you going to be in two years' time if you never do this? And I was like, well, I've got to do this. Mm. And that helped me kind of hire the first person. It was scary. I remember needing to get rid of the first person as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm once again responsible. I care about people, right? Yeah. It's just like, oh no. Um, what was that like? How did you, what was the mental origami that you had to use to I fire think them?
1: I it's, it's reframing and some of the psychological stuff here is, I'm not responsible for other people's livelihood. They're responsible for looking after their income and their family, Uh, not me. Um, I'm responsible to be respectful during that process and try to be a clear communicator. Um, I'm well aware that the more passive I am or the more I beat around the bush, the more damage I'm doing. Mm. Someone who actually cares mm. just cuts right in there and just exactly. goes, let me cut to the chase and say this isn't working and this is why and this is what needs to change. Um, I hate that still because I want to be nice to everybody's feelings. Mm. You know, I <laughs> want mm. people to like me as well. Oh, I've been human. <laughs> uh, so that's that's definitely one of the hardest things about managing people, managing a company. Yeah. It, I'm lucky given my industry. Um, kind of my rough rule of thumb is if you earn over 100k you need to put your big boy boots on and if it's not working out it's not really my problem if you're right at the bottom end of the pay scale trying to fund your family then it's a lot harder discussion hmm. and i'm also lucky that everybody on my team can get a job next week if they want to
0: yeah well yeah Salesforce implementers mate or yeah. administrators
1: yeah from a good company as well right yeah no watch where
0: they go well you're the only name that really came up when we first did our research a while ago um, just full disclosure, team. We, we we thought about bringing in Salesforce. Had a mental break trying to do it. Reached out for an implementation partner, and you know the, your team was good. It was a lady. Can't remember. It was on Zoom. <laughs> um, but yeah, your name was the most prevalent, apart from Lava Box or something. I think. Mm. But yeah, we don't need to talk about competitors. But no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I I use um how I frame things is that you know I think there's a difference between being nice and being kind yes definitely because like a lot of it's very easy I find a lot of the nice actions I take that causes harm is selfish so I'm being nice to feel good like I was talking to a friend recently yeah well you jump in I shouldn't talk about my friend recently
1: (laughs) no but what went through my mind then was like I'm kind of nice when I want people to like me and that's because of my ego and not that he goes bad, but it's because of my insecurities and want to be like, but you're kind when you're trying to help them. Yeah. And it's, it's there's huge number of examples where being kind is just telling people how it is. Yeah. It's not acceptable to talk that way to your friends or
0: it's not acceptable
1: to do that. You know, that's a kind thing to say. It's not nice though.
0: <laughs> mm, no, it's not easy. And I think that's where a lot of leaders falter, either the, um, they're not caring of others or they care too much. So they're not doing what needs to be done. But anyway, so who who would you see as like a guiding influence that people could reach out to? Not so much um, like a business coach as such, but either books that you learned a lot from or like people you follow?
1: I don't follow a lot and things. Um, I like Jim Collins a lot just because it's kind of data-driven and I like data and hmm. just really he condenses things down to nice really simple concepts okay and i like um particularly like his leadership structure about humble leaders and things like this like the most successful ceos in many statistically across a range of industries are not big high profile um talky talky people you know they they kept their agenda they stuck to their agenda they helped everybody focus on that and they got the results and it just Mm. quietly works with them i was like ah, i could start a See myself a little bit more aligned to that, rather than needing to be this charismatic leader or this visionary or something like this, because I don't want to be that person. Because <laughs> I'm not.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good point. Eh? Like any any part can learn. Yeah. Any part can lead. Yeah, I, I say that to you quite a lot. Is that people, you know, everyone in the organisation has the ability to be a leader, but they don't. They shouldn't all be on stage yeah you know and i th- I think that's empowering to give the person the opportunity to discover and innovate themselves and be responsible and accountable to their own ideas, and then it's not bottlenecking to you. so we talked off here about how you're working towards being less involved in terms of like you know, not bottling neck to you. What is your lessons through that or learnings that and we'll start talking about your confidence in your business soon. But yeah, how, how did... like Because most s- small business owners I see fail for that very reason. They have a job and they find it hard to delegate. And that's most of the business owners.
1: Yeah, well, de- delegation's interesting because it's, it's trust exercise. You'll get... um. You're screwed if you don't trust people enough, right? If you don't delegate. Um, the kind of mindset I fostered was, I don't have a business if it relies on me. I can't go away from... I've got a glorified contractor arrangement. You know, that's still underpins by me it's not a real business and i kind of strove my goal was to make it to a real business um and likewise if you trust too much or abdicate responsibility that's probably even a worse situation go i've hired this new marketing manager he'll just sort out all my marketing Mm. they won't Mm. people need specific guidance and accountability and they need follow-up so it's really hard to delegate well um and it's we want silver bullets we want, oh, i just hired that marketing manager or I've hired that marketing agency or well, my problems going to go away. And that's just not truth. Truth is they will be really good at these things and they won't cover these things. So if, if you can figure out that, then your expectations can be really well aligned and you can trust well. So I think that's a big one. Um, and then obviously you need the right people to trust. <laughs> a big CEO problem is getting the right leadership team around you. How do you find people you can trust? And that's really hard. That's just really hard. There's not an abundance of superstars in the world by the definition of a superstar. Right? Mm, mm.
0: <laughs> True. I mean, Gary V, a a man of Chuck and people will look him up. He's, he's my mm-hmm. disciple. Well, not disciple, whatever I follow him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to say you Jesus do? given you uh, all <laughs> Uh, but he, yeah, he says hire quick fire, uh, hire slow fire quick or hiring, hiring is guessing firing is knowing you know the reality is you don't necessarily know what a person is until you know you've met them
1: there's a bunch of things you can't you can run much smarter interview processes than most people do if you're not testing people practical application what are you doing like a CV's not a good guide mm. an interview is pretty subpar process give them real challenges and see how but there's a bunch of things you can't test for. You can't test them when they're in really tricky situations. You can't test their long-term reliability. Some people will be great for three months and fizzle out. Um, yeah, I like the the tagline fail fast, which is used in a lot of startups, you know, pivot quickly, fail fast. And my question that's really helped me through these is, would I hire this person today, given what I know now? Hmm. And if the answer is often very quickly, no. It's like, well, why am I keeping them? because you're basically rehiring them every day Mm. somewhere. That really helps justify when I work with kind of my group of CEOs and different things like this is they go, I'm not sure. And I say, mate, the fact that you just told me you're thinking that this person isn't working means you've already concluded they're not working because you wouldn't have been bringing it up otherwise. You don't talk about these things unless you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: And then the other one I heard, and this is from my original boss, back to management consulting, this is really... Useful is you can either trust people or you can fire them. There's no middle ground. And that's always stuck with me really well. Hmm. Um, And if you don't trust somebody, you can put better guidance at a systems in place. And if you still don't trust them, it's just not working out. You can't do your job. It's too stressful. Yeah. yeah. And you're not setting them up for success.
0: No. Yeah. Cold-blooded empath, mate. Look at you, transcended. The (laughs) Nah, nah. What? Well, <laughs> what's your hiring process then? What? how do you, do you just use seek? Do you have referral? Is it just, it, cause you're. Most of it's referrals. Oh, mm. you just live in there. It's part of everything. Just comes towards you.
1: Yeah, man, plus life. Uh, <laughs> no, but like in our industry, there's too much people competition. It's actually more about retention than it is around hiring in our industry. Um, people trying to poach people all the time. Mm. We've got incredibly high retention rates. No, we've got people here from day one or five years ago, whenever it was. Um, you know, it's because we actually give a damn about our people. We treat them with respect. We try and pay them slightly more than market rate. We, we care about their learning and development. We'll put a lot in place to look after them and they talk to each other. It's also about the culture. Some of my um, other people in the market have. They chase the gravy chain and they scale, scale, scale. That means you have to just hire people to do that. And when they do that, they don't hire the A players. And A players like working with A players. They love sitting next to the person and go, oh, should we do this? No, no, don't do this. Cause this, this, this. Oh, we'll do this. Cool. Ten minute conversations and you feel, you both feel really amped. You like working with people. While you've got someone who's a bit lazy or someone you don't trust or someone who just needs to be spoon-fed all the time. You just get annoyed. Hmm. You can't move at pace, so that's going to be in our hiring philosophy, and it's a privileged one. Yeah, but only high A
0: players, because A players like A players, and yes. C players don't. We don't do C players. So e- either you got such a prestige in the market to enable you to have a waiting list of sorts of staff, so then they come. Because the the challenge is, you can hire the A player in terms of they're at a stage, or you can hire the A player in terms of who they are that has a passion about learning the thing that you do and you have the ability and infrastructure to support it. So I'm wondering, cause you know, that'd be great. Like every time you have an A player, just chuck them in. We've got some A players. We're off. But then everyone wants your A players. And then all those A players are leveraging off the other A players. Like how do you navigate that or facilitate that? Or you just, there's no one just on your level and you guys are just.
1: Uh, no, there's everybody's got some good people They wouldn't exist without some good people. Mm. Like, it's credit to everybody involved um to be honest we just don't think about them so much you know think about our own people don't get worried about what other people are doing just try to do the best we can do uh, we try to do the best quality work as well because that's the other thing We is two things we used to have the ongoing tagline of like doing work that you're extremely proud of um uh, because i noticed that i've been paid well in different jobs and I had it really easy but I wasn't proud of what I was doing mm. and I got ground down and eventually I left because I don't like doing work I'm not proud of if it doesn't feel right to me then if I'm not proud of it it's not so we've recently changed that or we'll improved that as in this year to we want to be a place where people regularly do the best work of their life and that sounds like one heck of a stretch goal until we went through the staff and we told them this, and a bunch of them went, oh, yeah, that's our status quo. We regularly do the best work of our life. And I was like, oh, that's that's amazing, you know? And if you do the best work of your life, getting paid well, and enjoy who you're working with, then you're not going to leave.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And the phone was ringing while you we were talking, so you did well there.
1: <laughs>
0: best work of your life there, mate. <laughs> so, how, so let's. you've got the people there, and then so a referral, does that mean they know of someone else at a networking event? Is it a referral from clients? Or where is your staff coming from?
1: Uh, look, we do get job adverts. Like people know us in the market. Yeah. So some people are looking, for, in this case, for a Salesforce job. They'll go around the top Salesforce partners and buy all of them.
0: Oh, so is there a ranking system in Salesforce? Like they put you like, you know, no, gold partner. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, SEO is high. Uh,
1: yeah, I think our SEO is really bad because we don't do marketing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, some people find out. I always get amazed, you know, even talking to yourself, right? It's just like, oh, yeah, I've heard of you guys. I'm like, how the hell have these people heard of us? Yeah. It's a bunch of those calls before.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, anyone that was a Salesforce implementer, I was just like, that is just like creme la in the sense that they they appear, you're like, oh, can I talk to you? Yeah, um, I'm free in the next two months. I'm like, what do you mean you're free in the next two? Because there's just so much work that's accessible to them.
1: Well, every business needs back-end systems.
0: Yeah, true. And very few businesses can set up sales for.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and not there's not your, your choices. Off-the-shelf system. I use the zoos as an example. We've done the implementation for a couple of the zoos, one in Northland Zoo. Um, what's a zoo supposed to do? Plan A, go get the zoo management system that kicks ass, that does all your membership management, your past generation. Just use that. Apparently that doesn't exist. Yeah. So the normal, typical um, next step is you go to a development company and you plan it all out and you pay for it, and you pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for these code monkeys to like write up custom code. Every time it breaks, every time it needs maintenance, every new feature is just going to cost you, cost you, cost you. And we just happen to sit in the, the sweet spot on configurable software, mm. so we'll build workflows and build things on an already existing platform, so it costs four times less people think it's ah, oh, it costs twice as less but no it costs four or five times less than the long term mm. it's the total cost of ownership and keeping this thing up to date. but how else are you supposed to solve that problem like i don't i work in this industry and that's the best way of solving the problem so that's why we're always going to have work
0: <laughs> yeah well yeah it makes sense the configuring is a lot smarter I, I was editing a podcast i managed to get a client so far one client so far Yay. And I was editing that podcast and the guy was talking about um, he started his app. He had an idea in the essence of combining different apps of Uber and all the different mm-hmm. driving apps. And he hired a developer through this channel and then realized it isn't doing what he wanted it to do. He tried to change it and it was actually a project manager to help facilitate connections to different developers and no, I know how to fix it because it's too complicated. And it makes sense. Or even a friend of mine, he's got a one of the most advanced um digital advice platforms national capital it's called mm-hmm. essentially a competitor and it costs them 100 grand just to set up the back end of it and then there's the ongoing cost of it so you make a point there about, about the configurability w- what do you think are like 80 20 quick wins with businesses that have some level of of whether it's Salesforce or some CRM and they're not capitalizing on it and I know it's going to be tricky and you can pick a random <laughs> case study but what do you find are the most underutilized aspects of say Salesforce?
1: Um, I would say reporting comes top of mind. One is it um, it's a few, right? So reporting's massive. The biggest uh, problem I think people have sometimes is they get lots of reports if a report doesn't change the way you operate tomorrow next week it's called noise it's pretty great you've got a dashboard pretty graphs but i want to know show me all leads that i haven't followed up on show me all service cases where i'm behind i'm coming up to my sla show me all staff by conversion rates you know if it doesn't change the way i'm operating tomorrow it's not change the way i operate my business people think of reports who like management of ceos and boards they should be for individuals and team managers to help change you, change the way you operate. So it's thinking through all of your reports. What am I trying to achieve and how can I show that in a report? And reports drive action. I was always amazed when we started using dashboards and team meetings. You just put them on the on the board. In action, Just people just changed. They noticed that and go, ah, oh, let's drive that outcome. Hmm. It's you, smart. You put a list of all our project milestones and one's coming up to due. All of a sudden, there's less coming up to due dates. It's just, <laughs> that's how humans work. The other one that comes to mind is probably working through the obvious one is working for efficiency. So actually shadowing and talking to people. People cost the most in pretty much every business by a long margin, by a long margin. So what, what are the inefficiencies? Mm. Like, uh, it's hard to book in meetings and use a booking um, tool. Um, generating proposals will generate templates save them back it's hard to find documents get it automatically structured pricing you know, we always get it wrong we'll get a pricing calculator like what well, What are your needs that are going to save on human time hmm. we find a lot of boards and staff are sceptical about technology investment but the actual but they'll pay a lot of money for people so kind of one of our sales tactics there might be is going up well how many people would you hire well it would take us four people to solve this problem go to your board get the sign off for four salaries and they'll sign an offer while blanking and then go back to them and go, oh, I've had an idea. I can do it for one salary's cost. <laughs> <laughs> if I can use technology mm. and it's going to save all this money going to the future. And the board's like, oh, great idea. But if you went up for well, one salary cost, they might've said no at the beginning.
0: Yeah. Well, that's an important part yeah. is conveying it to key stakeholders that might be baby boomers of sorts. Yeah. Is there, a, you know, let's say there's a change management whatever they call themselves these days. People in the business, that want to make a change and they're re- finding resistance. Is there a process you go through to help them communicate? We, we this start
1: thing? right back at the beginning of just discoveries with new clients. And then in our first initial workshops, when they come on board, we ask, why the heck is an end user? Do I want to use this? So the questions we ask through that is what are your pain points? Ignore Salesforce, ignore technology. What sucks about your job? What's well, a waste of time? Mm. What keeps you up at night? What keeps you stressed? We list out all those and we list what would you like your job to look like. And we see, it's like, cool, so if I can solve these six problems, you'll use the system and you'll like it. And they're like, hell yeah. Like, cool, glad we did that. If we can't get any out, then no one's going to use it. Let's just stop the project and just mm-hmm. refund money and just go out separate ways. But quite often people design it for managers, like that management dashboard report. Managers want to keep track of things, but it's not going to get used unless it helps the end user. Mm. so it's talking to them and figure out what their actual pain points are and people are much more motivated around
0: pain than they are about aspirations we think we're positive but if you can solve a pain point I'm in <laughs> yeah that, that's an important distinction yeah I, I talk about you know aspiration and rock bottom are the two biggest contributors but rock bottom is the main one yeah Um, I won't tell you the story about um the dog and the nail I've told it four times in a row <laughs> it's the same concept of, you know if it hurts enough then you change um, well, we're at fifty minutes, so we've gone on well. So, in terms of is there a framework or or process that you go through to help identify either the pain point and inefficiencies or a framework to recognize how this business can go to another level, like or how do you scale that, you know what I mean? We use surprisingly,
1: Basic frameworks. Okay, so you can go to your big five consulting companies, and they'll have frameworks galore, and you can pay hundreds of thousand dollars for multi page reports. We have a going assumption; it's highly pragmatic that the people in the room—the leaders, the sales manager, the sales reps, the CEO—probably know what some of the key opportunities are. They do this day in, so let's trust them that they know it. They struggle with articulating it, and also if I talk you into this new idea which I think is best they're probably not going to do it because they don't buy into it Mm. Um, and if you can help them achieve the stuff that we're already trying to achieve that is huge success and that's very common they've been talking about these things for two years we help them go like what is it we kind of ask try and articulate it very clearly what needs to change to achieve that Um, and then we just start we list out all the things you want to do we go for a prioritization matrix and go cool start with your top 10 priorities Start, start with number one priority and work down that list. We've got them in order. And they've had the same thing for 10 years, but we've got someone who's like just up their case, you know, and just like start at number one. Why not? And they know they should. We're just like, now you do. <laughs> yeah. um, Articulate. I believe that our customers know their business. They know their customers. They're very good at that. We can offer ideas. We've got lots of ideas. We're not just a tech partner. We're a business partner. So we can show what other companies have done. This works really well. We will push back ideas all the time. Yeah, a common example. If I want a mobile app, why the heck someone going to install your mobile app? I do not buy it, you know? So both of us agree. i uh, would be two tough nuts on either side, but it will be a good idea.
0: Yeah, I, I think that was... I made this mistake. I did a, a seminar, and I worked out how to get people to turn up, and then I tried to do it for the retirement thing. Two people came up. I swear one walked off the street. But this lady was saying... Um, She asked about KiwiSaver. And I said, oh, you've actually done quite well. And she's like, oh, right, perfect. Well, and then she talked to um, Greg and she's like, oh, he told me I'm doing everything right. I don't need to do anything. But it wasn't, she wasn't actually doing things right. She was doing things pretty good. And that was a lesson for me is not saying what people want to hear, saying what they need to hear. And and it comes at the expense of your business in the short term, but the long term, it doesn't. And, you know, you can sleep at night. Because we're, we're at, like, the financial planning is a, a few-decade relationship.
1: Exactly. Well, this is where it's really nice for us, flipping the nail, oh. flipping the card that we're about our staff. And our staff know if we're doing great work or not. Mm. They know if we're doing work we're not experts in, and they know if we're doing work we are experts in. So we don't take on work that we can't do a great job on. Because my job is actually to look after my team keep the best people engaged and they're the magic doing the work so I don't have much of a choice
0: <laughs> it's yeah you've really got to good. keep your A2 yeah yeah, that would make sense so well now that we're at the last five minutes I feel like I didn't get mo- as much value as I could out of the, the actual deliverables but the revenue side of things can you expand on that a little bit like um, what you might do or how what problem you're solving with the revenue lab um, so the problem it depends on the customer, yeah,
1: depends on what is. they're going to need. Classic consulting, <laughs> uh, but it's tailored, it, it's not yeah. a magic formula, and people have. And that's just, this is this is exciting, I love this about business. You can get five different business books, all very successful, and they all took different strategies. It's not a magic formula or framework. There are some things, for example, being very, very buyer centric. What are the pain points of that buyer? What are the questions of that buyer? So we always line up a one of the first things we do is look at a sales process and go, who is your customer? What is your buy? How do they go to buy? How do they assess options? How do they assess risk? What are the stages they go through? And therefore, our sales process is to help them go through those stages. Um, one of the coolest assessments I learned that early on from Amanda, who leads it, is if you skip any of these steps, they're going to go back. If you, you can sell them the dream that this is the best solution to their problem, But if they haven't compared it to other available options, they won't sign. So you actually don't avoid steps. You help them go through each step quickly. Hmm. Give them the information. Show them, hey, these are your four off options, and this is why we think you should do this. Help them go through that process. Um, So those are kind of standards. And then out of that comes your marketing processes. Now that you know who you need to get marketing qualified, what sort of leads you want. Out of that comes through, you can do your planning around team sizes, what sort of people you need to hire, what sort of commission structures are going to motivate them. Um, And then the other side of it is actual virtual, or they call it fractional leadership, of stepping in and helping advise how you should manage these teams. So it's actually doing like executive coaching, business coaching, or sometimes with certain companies, we'll actually step in as a CRO. So we've done that. We do that for timely at the moment. We do that for stuff for a number of months. was virtual CRO until Mm. we could hire they could hire help them hire a new Sarah. It's not our job
0: to to stand by well forever. We want to set them up for success. Hmm. Smart, smart because you know you're helping the back end infrastructure, and then there's a people component and 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 how to justify further investment. So why not help them grow their revenue as well? Huh. Do you do the um, the outreach component in terms of how to garner a large audience? It sounds more like. How do you maximize the audience as it goes through a certain process?
1: Um, yeah, we won't do outbound. yeah. My head went to well, actually, outreach is a tech product. We're ah. an APEC partner for I think one of the only ones um that connects into the sales force that helps with those processes. Um, we don't outbounds a funny it just depends on the industry whether
0: outbounds an effective strategy or not. You know what I mean, like yeah. content or calling in a sense, like you're creating a brand that makes people inquire and then they go through a process. Yeah. So we don't do the delivery of those yeah. specific things. So we're not going to help you
1: do your marketing or do your sales. We sit of a layer above that of going, what are you putting the right frameworks in place so you can hire people? Because we want them to be self-sustaining. So it's not, uh, we don't want to be involved in the day to
0: day because we want you to run on your own two feet. Mm. That's interesting, yeah. Is that a hard thing to sell'cause 'cause you're you're helping solve a pain point that and then you know helping and make ensure it's successful, but then you're not necessarily directly saying you're gonna help top line revenue, but it happens as a result
1: yeah um is it a hard thing to sell? I never see myself as doing sales I, no. it's not that sales is a dirty word um' <laughs> yeah. I'm in the business of helping, yeah. and so is the rest of the team and so if we oh, I go. Hand on heart, that's going to set you up for better long-term revenue at lower cost than us doing this. So I have to recommend that Hmm. because that's what I believe in. Um, I'm literally like, and the other way I'm saying, I'm literally saying pay us less in the long-term. Yeah. And I wouldn't do that if I didn't believe it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interest. What made you pivot? Well, what made you expand? Because you didn't have to pivot, you said. Because you're, you're helping. Yeah, yeah. Well, opportunity system. came along. For, we saw it as twofold. We, a
1: lot of people coming thinking, Texas over a silver bullet. Oh, I'm going to get this new sales tool. It's going to improve my sales numbers. Is it? Is it? I'm skeptical. Yeah, so it's like, how are you managing your team? How do you motivate them? Do you have a good idea? And then quite often, they're not tech problems. Um, and then we got a great opportunity. where We met Amanda Armstrong, who was CRO at Crimson education at the time so she did zero Vend and Crimson were last kind of free tech gigs uh, and we just got on really well and what she her skill set was oh we could help expand that across multiple clients rather than just one at a time hmm. we started that two three years ago yeah
0: it makes sense that's a weird thing eh? like I'm fortunate that I just gave for a few years and nothing happened and then things started to happen and now as I'm like going on this new opportunity and just be making people aware that I'm on it and just there's so much help and guidance and every, every step is just like solved by someone else. I'm doing nothing. Well, I'm doing stuff. But each time I go somewhere and I don't have a solution that's solved before I had the problem, you know what I mean? Like, At the moment, I realize essentially what I do is book people and CEOs of companies for a podcast and do all the creative and replicate that model for other businesses. Because B2B, the whole thing is just about relationships. And then I realized, how am I going to deliver, you know, 14 pieces of content a week, which is what I was going to do, was to like do all the, the short clips to promote it. And then my first client told, spoke to someone else that owns a media company and he said, reach out to him, so reach out to him. And he's like, why don't you, I do all the creative and provide the podcast studio, and you just be like an honorary salesman until you reach scale and then you can go on your own. I was like, okay, well, let's just do that. <laughs> but, uh, enough about me. What, what, um, as we wrap it up now, what would be, who should reach out and how could should, can they reach out? And what would be your final, uh, point? Or...
1: <laughs> uh, reach out. Like our ideal customer is someone who's trying to solve a business problem. Something probably to do with scale. That's where technology really helps. And, um, if you don't have a clue what that is, you can still reach out. But if you've got more of a specific problem, you've already got a bit of a tech stack and you want to have a review, see if it's better with your people. Or if you've got maybe five or six salespeople looking to scale, you're figuring out as you scale, relying on your old good salespeople is not quite the formula for the next you know, 20 salespeople, reach out. Those were probably the two big um, ones. To reach out, just go to the website, gravitylab.nz. But like the contact form. Um, my email's Daniel at gravity Oh, Brave man. There you go. Um can touch.
0: Cool. I'll put it in the description.
1: <laughs> Email. All right. All right. Yeah. So be- if you call me, I'm probably focusing on the task at hand. I'll probably call you back, but I might yeah. not answer.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Oh well, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks,
1: Ryan. Great to meet you. You too, brother.